I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, back with you here on the program. So much to get into on the show today as we get into some Alabama coaching news. On the football front, as Pete Golding, four years as Alabama's defensive coordinator, is joining a kindred spirit of sorts, I would say, in Lane Kiffin in overseeing the Rebels' defense there at Ole Miss. We'll talk about Pete's legacy in Tuscaloosa. We'll also get into some potential scenarios for this Alabama coaching staff moving forward, especially on the defensive side of the ball, where it looks like we've already had maybe a Magnolia State trade of sorts. Is Austin Armstrong, who has spent the last two seasons at Southern Mississippi as the Eagles defensive coordinator, has reportedly, and we've been able to confirm now at BamaOnline.com, that Austin Armstrong is already in Tuscaloosa and going to work. What specific role, positionally and otherwise, will Armstrong have for this staff moving forward? That remains to be seen. We'll talk about some of the stuff that goes into that from maybe Nick Saban's perspective. And we'll also talk some Alabama men's basketball following the Crimson Tide's home date with LSU on Saturday afternoon at Coleman Coliseum. All of this kind of plays into a junior day event for Alabama football recruiting there in Tuscaloosa. And Hank South, Tim Watts, certainly been updating you both on the coaching situation and then tying it into the junior day and visitors that Alabama has on campus This weekend, so much to get into right there with us on the roundtable, the premium message board of ours at BamaOnline.com. So you're going to want to hang out with us there, get all of this news as it continues to break in so many different ways. So we're going to start with Pete Golding. And it was, I think, from the Alabama fan perspective, and I know this season especially, the noise got especially loud around Pete. And not just Pete, but... Bill O'Brien, his offensive counterpart, and his position as the coordinator for that side of the football, not a lot of of approval being espoused there on the roundtable by Alabama fans throughout the 2022 season. But, you know, when you look at Pete's time in Tuscaloosa, there is a national championship on the resume in 2020. And I understand when you think about that 2020 team, you're going to think about perhaps the greatest Alabama offense of all time with Mac Jones and Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, that offensive line. So I get it, but Pete still going to have his name as a coordinator on what may have been the greatest Alabama team of all time. When you talk about merit and beating 11 SEC opponents and beating Notre Dame and Ohio State, two of the bluest of blue bloods in all of college football in the playoff to cap that 13-0 season, Pete's going to be right there. And when you look at 2021, he oversaw a defense that captured an SEC title and was, what, eight or nine minutes away? from back-to-back national titles, really had Stetson Bennett swimming in Indianapolis. And really it was, well, a couple things. Obviously, the Alabama offense was stuck on 18 
in the second half in that game, and you felt like it was going to take mid-20s to win that matchup with Georgia there in Indy. And the offense wasn't able to get there, and the defense wasn't able to put the brakes on the Georgia offense there in the second half. And I thought more so than anything, it was a run game for Georgia in the second half that was especially problematic. And I don't blame all that on Pete because there were run fits that were that were handled well by Alabama defenders in the first half. For whatever reason, they weren't handled well in the second half. You had some missed tackles, some misfits. So there's some ownership from the players, too, that has to be taken into account. But, yeah, that's what you're talking about with Pete Golding. 19, his first full year in the saddle there as the Alabama defensive play caller. I give him a bit of a pass on that year. And you go back and you think about all the true freshmen just in that front seven because of injuries in the preseason at inside linebacker to Dylan Moses to Josh McMillan. You got Christian Harris transitioning to the inside linebacker position from basically a defensive back position in high school. And he's starting every game at weak side linebacker. You got Shane Lee as a true freshman thrust into the middle linebacker position. You had three or four defensive linemen as true freshmen. A boy beat Byron Young, DJ Dale certainly come to mind when I think about 2019 and inexperienced players in that front seven. So I give them a bit of a pass for that. 2022, it's the lasting impression, I think, unfortunately for Pete, that most Alabama fans are going to have. And let's face it, that was an underwhelming unit that we most recently saw from Alabama. You can talk about total defense, yards, numbers, all those things, but for an experienced and talented group, when the stakes were at their highest in games against the two best offenses that Alabama saw in 2022, Tennessee and LSU, and credit both those teams. Jaden Daniels, a real deal at the quarterback position, had complimentary options around him that were certainly of the highest of levels at the college game, especially at wide receiver and then some depth at running back. But, you know, that was still an offensive line for LSU that was breaking in two true freshman offensive tackles. And then you think about Tennessee and the busts and the wide open receivers that Tennessee were able to produce, especially earlier in that game. Alabama defensively was certainly a lot better in the second half of the Tennessee game, and it didn't get the most help from the Alabama kicking game, the short field that was set up by the botched uh, punt return situation for Alabama in the first half of that game. And then officiating, I think we all agree, wasn't particularly friendly to Alabama on the road in Knoxville. Still, all those things taken into account, Alabama had opportunities in the fourth quarter to close that game out. And yes, I understand one of those was negated by a very, very questionable pass interference call. But as much as anything, it was the ease with which Tennessee was able to go get that game-winning field goal late in regulation And then the way that LSU was able to not only put itself in position to tie that game in overtime in Baton Rouge, but win it with the two-point conversion on the very next play that was shocking in both instances. The ease in which those situations unfolded against the Alabama defense. And that's not to exempt the Alabama offense, the Alabama kicking game and all this, because essentially we've already talked about it. We've already talked about the Alabama kicking game failures throughout 
the 2022 season. Uh, the offense, as far as complimentary football is concerned, it never really matched up for this Alabama team. So it's easy to think, well, the defense, the offense, Bill O'Brien, Pete Golding, but in every phase of this team, they did not complement each other especially well. Not until the bowl game, at least. That seemed to be the game that we saw it all come together. And even if you think about Pete Golding's last Iron Bowl, what are a lot of people going to think about that game? Defensively for Alabama, anyway. They're going to think about 318 rushing yards for Auburn. Even though Alabama won that game on the scoreboard rather comfortably, uh, it was, again, it was sobering the manner in which an Auburn offense that you knew was going to run the football. You know, that was a situation where Robbie Ashford was attempting about 10 passes per game under Cadillac Williams. So you totally had a good idea, a good feel. Now, did Auburn maybe break out some new ways of running the football? Yeah. But fundamentally, penalties, uh, not enough takeaways throughout the season, it was an underwhelming performance. And I felt like even more so than the offense the Alabama defense in 2022 because of the experience, because of Pete's place as a multi-year coordinator, just didn't live up to it. So this comes at probably the right time. And it comes at a point where, as we've seen in the past, where lateral at best moves are concerned with Alabama assistant coaches, mutually agreed upon, it might be a kind way of putting it. And here's to Pete getting maybe even more money at Ole Miss. Good for him. I think on the outside, the hiring of Pete Golding by Lane Kiffin is going to be lauded. You're getting Alabama's defensive coordinator. That's where the research essentially stops for a lot of folks, a lot of takes anyway. And Pete is going to do as good a job, I think, as you probably can at Ole Miss. And he's certainly a capable recruiter. And his footprint of work at Alabama ties in perfectly for what Lane would like in Oxford. When you talk about what Pete did in Louisiana, going and getting a guy like Christian Harris out of Baton Rouge lab, um, you know, as a recruit, as the primary recruiter on Christian Harris in Mississippi, most recently Pete as the primary on Jaheim Otis, a budding defensive line star for the Crimson Tide. So there are a lot of positives for Pete. And I think even when you think about Pete's first year at Alabama and how he was perceived initially, it was more positive than anything else because, well, maybe in large part because he was working for Tosh Lapoy at the time. And we all know how ill-fated that one and done was for Tosh as the coordinator. Tosh was pretty much gone after that season. And Pete was elevated uh, 2019, as we talked about, a lot of fresh faces and some tough spots in that front seven. 2020, um, got lit up a couple times. You know, you think about the SEC championship game in 2020, that that one stands out. But uh, that was a hell of a skill, skill talent group that Florida put out there with you, led by Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Toney and a pretty good stable of backs and uh, depth at the wide receiver position. So, some of it you chalk up to today's football, but as much as anything, I think, again, the 2022 unit, given the expectations, given the returning production, um, that, wasn't, that wasn't the finest performance by Pete Golding. And Nick Saban's got to take some responsibility for it as well, because we all know Nick's background is that of a defensive guru, a defensive icon, 
so I'm sure Nick took some of that personally. And uh, again, it looks like a good getting off point for not only Alabama with Pete Golding, but for Pete to go ahead and make that move within the Western Division of the SEC. And as a position guy, Pete did work with guys like Dylan Moses and Mac Wilson, Christian Harris, Henry Toa Toa, most recently, uh, Deontay Lawson as well. And you know, whatever you think of Pete Golding, he does have a national championship on his resume as a coordinator. That's something that Kirby Smart can speak to. That's something that Jeremy Pruitt can speak to. And again, Jeremy Pruitt, a name that's been bandied about prominently here in the last 24 hours or so as a potential re-addition to the Alabama staff. We'll see how that goes. You know, Jeremy obviously has some things he's still working through from his tenure at Tennessee with NCAA infractions at the top of that list. So what are you taking on if you are cleared to add Jeremy Pruitt to your staff? Because Jeremy's value He's a great football coach. Don't get me wrong. He's a very, 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 very good position coach and coordinator. And he gives you some versatility between the linebacker position and the secondary. He's worked with both throughout his stints with Alabama. So, But more than anything, Jeremy's also an elite recruiter. And so how he is sort of designated by college sports governing body moving forward in other words show cause or something of that nature how does all that factor into this potentially as well but uh, you know you think about moving forward and right now what we do know uh, reportedly initially anyway by ESPN was that Austin Armstrong who has spent the last two seasons as the defensive coordinator at Southern Mississippi is already in Tuscaloosa. We've been able to confirm that for ourselves at BamaOnline.com here in the last 12 hours or so. And Prodigy, I guess, is the best way to describe the ascent for Austin Armstrong, a guy who has very strong ties to the state of Alabama, uh, played his college football at Huntington down in Montgomery. And I say Prodigy because this is a guy that it hasn't been 10 years since he played college football. So very young guy. Um, it doesn't appear as if Saban is stuck on going with old dogs for what should be a final run. I mean, you're talking about Nick in his early 70s now. Uh, so it looks like Nick's going to go with some juice uh, in some roles here on this coaching staff. And, you know, Armstrong is interesting because we talk about Jeremy Pruitt and even guys like Glenn Schumann. And even with the addition of Austin Armstrong, we're not taking down our hot board for the defensive coordinators, even with Armstrong's background here of late as a defensive coordinator. Uh, and I would go ahead and throw this out there as well. As far as positional designations, coordinator role, those type of things, with Saban, when he goes through this process and there's going to be multiple changes to a side of the football, and I think that's still what we're in the midst of with this Alabama defense. It's almost like how we hear him talk about the offensive line on an annual basis. He's looking to get his best five linemen on the field together. I think that translates into coaching staff hires. Don't get caught up in connecting dots too much. So whereas it looks like, well, Pete Golding coached inside linebackers, Austin Armstrong's background as a player and as a coach 
has been at the inside linebacker position. It's a given that Austin Armstrong will coach inside linebackers. Maybe it'll play out that way. But I think there's a reason why in the reports that you have seen to this point that Austin Armstrong has been mentioned more so for an on-the-field role. There hasn't been a specific title that you've seen attached to Austin Armstrong as of yet. Now, we may get more of that. This is where Junior Day kind of ties into that. As we get updates from Junior Day attendees and they make contact with Austin Armstrong or they talk with Nick Saban, you know, there may be some more details that are unearthed. So that's another reason why you're going to want to hang out with us uh, at the roundtable at BamaOnline.com. So uh, you're going to want to be on alert for those kind of nuggets. But yeah, Armstrong's background, uh, very much at the linebacker position, very much in line with the Saban coaching tree, worked for Kirby Smart at Georgia in a support staffer role a couple, three seasons ago, worked for Billy Napier at UL Lafayette. So even when you connect dots from a recruiting standpoint, it's easy to do that with Armstrong and Pete Golding because, well, Austin Armstrong has worked Mississippi for Southern Miss. He's worked in Louisiana for UL Lafayette. And those are some specific areas. Alabama, obviously, is a place that Austin Armstrong is very familiar with. That ties back in with what Alabama has gotten the last four seasons or so from Pete Golding, also on the recruiting trail. So some things to consider positionally with Charles Kelly moving on to Colorado to work for Coach Prime out there in the Pac-12. You might need another defensive backs coach there's some things you could do where you go singular with your secondary coach it seems like Nick likes having two guys back there he likes having a guy primarily with safeties and another guy with the corners Um, but you you have some flexibility you have the ability to to move the chairs around so to speak and make things fit uh, specifically for maybe what you need you have the ability to have a standalone coordinator that doesn't really have a positional responsibility if you want to take that approach. So some things to consider when you think about candidates for the defensive coordinator job and also how it could tie in positionally, uh, some versatility that you have with specific candidates that have worked with the secondary but have also worked with linebackers just a lot of different ways this thing could go and so again keep that in mind when you're quick to start thinking about well this guy's obviously going to be the coordinator this guy's obviously going to be in charge of this specific position uh, of the defense so however it plays out we're going to have you covered front to back right there at BamaOnline.com. Again, right there on the roundtable is where you're going to want to hang out with us because it's not just the defensive side of the ball that you're anticipating changes. Again, you're thinking about the offense as well. And with that, let's talk some Alabama men's basketball. How could we not, following that absolutely dominant performance, a performance for all time, if you ask me, at least for my lifetime, especially when you're just talking about the first half of the Crimson Tide's 106-66 to win over the LSU Tigers, 59 first-half points. And going into the game, we kind of figured, we wrote about this on three predictions for LSU Alabama there at BamaOnline.com, that 
Brandon Miller would absolutely score in the first half of this game, especially coming off a performance against Arkansas that saw him extremely effective offensively in the second half, including some absolutely daggerish three-pointers down the stretch of that win over the Razorbacks at Bud Walton Arena, but didn't waste much time on Saturday, did he? The outstanding freshman, the freshman of the year, maybe the player of the year in college basketball and Brandon Miller. At least he has shown that for some extended stretches. And Saturday was no different. He scores 22 of his 31 points in the first half. Needs just 11 first half shots to score those 22 points. And really didn't look back from there. And so Brandon Miller coming off that first half shutout against Arkansas, in which he didn't get up a shot from the field, uh, wasn't going to wait around uh, against LSU on Saturday. And so he wasn't the only one either. You talk about some guys that were especially effective and some encouraging performances once again, even from guys coming off the bench. Javon Quinterly plays a pretty clean basketball game, scores 12 points, all of those coming on four three-point buckets, doesn't turn the basketball over, just eight turnovers for Alabama in the game, just three in the first half of that blitzkrieg that the Crimson Tide put the Tigers through in the first 20 minutes. And boy, Charles Bediaco, he only had two points, but it was a hell of a bucket, wasn't it? That step through Euro step in the first half from Chuck B. Didn't make the free throw on the three-point end of things, but on the end one, but still very, very impressive. Jaden Bradley playing on the basketball with a team-high six assists, continues to set up shooters for some wide-open looks. And really, you look at this team around the board and an emphasis on the bench. There's Nick Pringle once again, the junior college transfer with 10 points and seven rebounds. Did have four fouls in 19 minutes of work. Just a total, total dominant performance. A performance at the half. When I thought about it, I was thinking, am I watching 1991 UNLV all over again? It kind of felt that way, didn't it? So Alabama gets the job done in every aspect of the basketball game. You want to talk about taking care of the ball, just eight turnovers. You want to talk about points off turnovers, 19-2 to two the edge for the Crimson Tide there. You had heard from head coach Nate Oates about the need to rebound the basketball better. His team responds plus 14 on the boards with 52 rebounds in all for the Crimson Tide. Second chance points, 32-8 to eight the edge for Alabama. Points in the paint, 30-18 to 18 for the Crimson Tide. Bench points, 50 to 33, the edge for Alabama. Fast break points, 15 to 8. Again, you can look back on some previous performances from Alabama as recent as that one in Baton Rouge a couple of years ago when Alabama beat a Will Wade coach team and a more talented team, no doubt, than the one LSU put on the floor on Saturday afternoon at Coleman. Uh and made 23 threes in that game, an SEC record. But Alabama makes 20 threes, takes 54 threes in the game. And look, you know, some of these teams are going to be hell-bent on not allowing guards for Alabama to get two feet into the paint and, you know, still going to give some opportunities to a guy like Brandon Miller, even though he is a 45-plus percent shooter from beyond the arc. It truly is the double-edged sword. You know, if you stick to Brandon Miller out there on the 
perimeter, you're going to open driving lanes for guys like Bradley and Clowney and uh, more so Mark Sears and Javon Quinterly and those kind of guys. And so you play off of him, you go under screens, you overemphasize keeping guys out of the paint. The penetrating pitch comes into play and you get guys taking threes and hitting threes to the extent that Brandon Miller did with seven of those in the win over LSU on Saturday. Defensively for Alabama, it wasn't that tough of an assignment because this was an LSU team that came in really struggling to score the basketball, had been sub-60 points in each of its last two games, both of those losses. So a real emphasis on K.J. Williams, the veteran transfer from Murray State, who entered the game averaging 18.5 points per game, trailing only Brandon Miller in the scoring statistics there for SEC players. Williams did get his double figures, something Tulu Smith couldn't do as a post player for Mississippi State. Definitely something Oscar Sweebway wasn't able to do for Kentucky down on the block. But the 6'10", K.J. Williams finishes with 10 points. He needed 12 field goals to get there. Didn't shoot a free throw in the game. Two of three from three, so a good job from that perspective. And again, just a dominant, dominant performance in SEC play for an Alabama team whose closest game to date in conference action was in its opener for SEC play. That road win over Mississippi State. And man, when you talk about just rolling people at Coleman Coliseum. It's not just an SEC thing, although the wins over Kentucky and Ole Miss uh, in SEC action so far have been of 22 points or more in those two. Uh, They've rolled a lot of folks. Memphis may be the exception, I guess. Memphis played Alabama to within three there uh, in that non-con showdown. At uh, in Tuscaloosa, so that's been the exception for the most part. Everybody else has been just absolutely taken apart at Coleman by this Alabama team, and so it is. It's on to Vanderbilt on the road, Memorial Gymnasium up in Nashville come Tuesday night. And look, in the past, that's not been an easy place for Alabama to get a win. At some points, it's been a downright house of horrors for Alabama teams. Of the past. But again, this team feels quite different than teams that we've seen previously make that trip up to the Music City. And with that, we'll be excited, looking forward to see what Alabama can do and if it can continue this dominant stretch under Nate Oates. And hey, don't sell. Don't sell these Commodores short. This is a Vanderbilt team on Saturday that did get a win, a 13 point win. Over Eric Musselman's team. What about the Razorbacks now at 1-4 in SEC play after falling to Vanderbilt on Saturday afternoon? Uh, Some confidence maybe for Jerry Stackhouse's team as the Crimson Tide looks to make that trip up I-65. So that's going to do it for the latest edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Hope you enjoyed, by the way, the playoff football on Saturday. You know I did. You know I enjoyed that second half of my Jacksonville Jaguars and that come-from-behind win. Came from 27 nothing down. Feel better about yourself, Atlanta. People aren't talking as much about 28-3 on this Saturday night. Instead, it is the Jags. It was always the Jags, as they say in Duval these days. As uh, Wow, 
you talk about some some old fart memories. Hard not to think about that 1982 AFC Championship game after this Jaguars comeback. Remember that one? That one ended up going to overtime between the then San Diego Chargers and the Miami Dolphins. If you're an Alabama fan, you might remember that one for the hook and lateral. Tony Nathan, the former Alabama running back, took that pitch and went on to score a touchdown as the Dolphins came all the way back from a 24 to nothing first quarter deficit only to lose in overtime. Well, well, the Jags finished the deal on the Chargers on Saturday night in Duval. On to the divisional round for the Jacksonville Jaguars. We have more playoff football coming up over the rest of the weekend. We got plenty of stuff to talk about and cover. As we talked about earlier in the podcast, coaching news, fast and furious. We expect that to continue, so you're going to want to hang in there with us at BamaOnline.com for that. And also, continuing coverage of Junior Day at the Capstone. Hank Sal, Tim Watts, the rest of our staff, Charlie Potter, Kirk McNair, We look forward to keeping you up to speed on all things Alabama Crimson Tide. And with that, thanks again for joining us right here on the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, we hope you'll consider doing so. And if you'll leave us a rating and a review while you're there, we would greatly appreciate that as well. And of course, you want to hang out with us right there at BamaOnline.com, the roundtable, premium message board of choice for Crimson Tide fans around the globe. Until next time, so long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.